Well, we continue in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. And you know, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Sometimes in the Lord's Word, we're going through a book, a section of Scripture, and we may skip by something briefly. We may just read over it and come back to it at another time. We may take one verse. We may even take one word. We may take just a phrase. Either way, it's being in the Lord's Word that brings blessings upon us. In Hebrews chapter 2, we've uh, come quite a, quite a ways in 12 or in 11 studies, all the way into chapter 2. But I want to spend a little time in this verse 16. Well, before we do that, let me read to you from Romans 9. Hold your place there in Hebrews 2. Let me read for you from Romans 9, verses 15 and 16. Very, very familiar verses. You know these probably by heart. Our Lord says, for, or Paul was inspired to write by the Holy Spirit. He says, For he saith to Moses, speaking of God, speaking to Moses, he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth. Now, I don't know if the folks who preach that you have a free will, that you, you have a decision to make. I, I don't understand that at all. I, I was recently tempted to deal with that on Facebook, and I'm glad I did because, you know, I'm just not going to be able to open anybody's eyes with arguing with them. God opens people's eyes through the preaching of His Word. How are you going to call upon the true and living God if you're not hearing about Him? So that's where our argument needs to be, is in the pulpit, the preaching of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's not of Him that will it says Paul, writes Paul, nor of him that runneth. That means it's not the works that you do. It's not your own decision. It's not what you have earned. It's not what you have worked. But of God that showeth mercy. There's election. I love election. Because I know that if God had not chosen me, I would still be on that path of not choosing Him. It took God to open up my eyes to see that very truth. It took God to open your eyes. And you know that. You know that when you look at the sky now, you see blue. Oh, there it is. That's blue. I didn't know what blue was before. I know it's blue now. I can see it. I know what the truth is because I can see it. I was dead in trespasses and sin. Our text here in Hebrews chapter 2 declares this glorious gospel truth in God choosing to take upon Himself the seed of Abraham not the seed of Adam, not the nature of angels, but the seed of promise. That's what Abraham is a picture of, the seed of promise. We are the seed of promise. We are the children of promise. God has promised God the Son a people. And God the Son has promised that He would save this people. And God the Spirit has promised that He would call this people. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Our Lord passed by fallen angels. He passed by the sons of Adam. And he took a hold of the seed of Abraham. Now let's read 16, verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Our Savior reserves the right of absolute sovereignty in the exercise of His saving grace and in the application of His mercy. 
He has the right, and He reserves that right to that absolute sovereignty. It's His. We say this nation is sovereign. That means that nobody outside of this nation tells us what to do. Even this nation bows to other nations in one way or another. God bows to nobody. He is sovereign to the very depth of what that word means. Sovereign. He bows to no one. He answers to no one. Everything answers to Him. As He is sovereign in creation and in providence, our God is absolutely sovereign in the salvation of sinners. Every child of God was lost, rushing headlong into destruction, and until Christ reached down His hand of His sovereign power and delivered us, that was our path. In Zechariah 3.2, the Lord uses these words to describe us. To describe what His Son, what He has done for you and I. It says, a brand plucked from the burning. Pulled out of the burning before it could be burned. Plucked out of the burning. We were on the path to be burned in damnation. In eternal death. God plucked us out through the works of His Son. That's what that's talking about in Zechariah 3.2. We were snatched out of the jaws of hell, snatched out from among perishing men by His sovereign mercy and His irresistible grace. Brother Don Fortner wrote this. He says, You cannot read through the Bible without being confronted with the fact of divine sovereignty almost on every page. Today we hear much talk about the fundamentals of faith. Are we going to get back to the fundamentals of faith? I've heard that statement before. Yet those who boast of saying uncompromising fundamentalists, of being uncompromising fundamentalists, I am a fundamentalist down to the T. I am a Calvinist deep. They seldom ever mention the gospel of doctrine, the gospel doctrine of divine sovereignty, writes Don. When they do mention it, it is only to denounce it and to poke fun of those who believe it. Let men, if they dare, he says, deny it, ridicule it, and rebel against it as they will. God's indisputable sovereignty is a fundamental doctrine of Holy Scripture and a vital point of Christian theology. In this statement. Notice our wording in Hebrews 2.16. It does not say he took on him the seed of Adam says it took on him the seed of Abraham. As it was never the intention of our Lord to save fallen angels. I love that song that uh, Mike sings Holy Holy. They can't sing the song of redemption. The angels that have not fallen can't sing the, the song of redemption. Only one song of redemption can be sung in heaven and that's the people who God has loved from before the world was. You and I. You and I. We have a new song in our hearts. He is God Almighty. That's a song we sing. He is Lord of everything. That's the song we sing. Our Lord delights in mercy. He delights in forgiving the iniquity of His people, their transgressions and their sin. But to say that the Lord Jesus wants to save all men and tries to save all men or provide salvation for all men is blasphemous. It's to say that God has no power at all. 
God loves the whole world. It's to deny His Word. It's to call the Holy Spirit a liar. Any doctrine who says that Christ wants to save those who perish or tries to save those who perish and provide salvation for those who perish is nonsense. That's not even a God. Don't even deserve to be called God with a little g. With no power at all. It's elevating man above God is what it's doing. It's taking it's the rebellion that we had since the day Adam sinned in the garden. I know what's best. I know what's wiser than God. I am above him. Do you know that's the original sin that Satan did? That's what he did. He says, I will be above the most high. What our Lord does, what he wants to do, he does. Look over at Isaiah 46 for a moment. We looked at several verses about the, God's purpose in Friday night study. We turn over to Isaiah 46. In Isaiah 46, we read one verse here that just tells the entire Bible. It describes God in a way that the entire Bible describes Him. From cover to cover. You know what it says in the beginning? It says, in the beginning, God created. Well, that's what this is saying right here. In Isaiah 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Well, if it's God's pleasure to save a people, can anything stop Him from that? Not according to what we just read. Not according to those words we see there in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. He tries... Our Lord never tries to do anything. I'm going to repeat this. Some of you were here Friday night. heard it, but some of you weren't. I love this statement somebody recently made. God does not do what is right. Let me repeat that. God does not do what is right. What God does is right. Period. If He hardens the heart of Pharaoh, that's right. Our Lord never tries to do anything. He succeeds in everything He desires. Look over at Psalms 135. You're in Isaiah. Just turn to the left a few pages there to, to, to one of the last Psalms there. Just past Proverbs. Psalms 135. I want to look at a couple of verses here before we go on. In Psalms 135, we read in verse 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did <laughs> is there any do I have to do I have to break that down for you here I like the way Don this is I think Don Fortner would do it like this this is what that means whatsoever the Lord pleased that did he that's, that's pretty simple you can't break it down any more than that in heaven and in earth in the seas and all the deep places. Is that pretty plain? Let's look at one more. If you would turn to the right over to the book of Daniel. Go to the right. The book of Daniel. Just past Ezekiel. Ezekiel then Daniel. And I want to look at chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Now you know who Nebuchadnezzar is, right? Nebuchadnezzar was bragging on how he had accomplished something when it was obvious to everybody that God had the one who had done the work. 
And he'd gone about bragging about how he so the Lord the Lord put a thorn in Nebuchadnezzar's side. It made him to eat grass for a little while. And and here we pick up here in verse thirty four of Daniel chapter four, and at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes. Now this is after the Lord had given him back, given him back his uh, his sanity. And I lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And then we read in verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Folks, you and I were in that same boat. There was a day when the Lord, when we walked according to our own will, according to our own knowledge, thinking we knew more than anything else. And it took the Lord to knock our feet out from underneath us, didn't it? It took our Lord to show us the depth of our depravity, didn't it? We sing that very song now, that very same song, and all the inhabitants of the earth, especially me, John Reed, are reputed as nothing. And he, speaking of God, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? It took God doing a work in Nebuchadnezzar before he could understand those words that he, that he said there. If he wanted, if our God wanted to save everybody in the world, folks, I like this. I've heard this said by many preachers. When God told Lazarus, when he called Lazarus by his name, he said, Lazarus, come forth. If he had not used Lazarus' names, if he had just said, come forth, every dead body and every grave on the entire world would have come forth. That's the power of the God we know in Scriptures. That's the power of the one who deserves the title God, Sovereign Lord of everything. All power in heaven and earth belong to him if he wanted to save everybody in the world where is the force that could stop him from doing so the doctrine of universal redemption the doctrine which says that Christ wants to save everybody tries to save everybody and provides salvation for for everybody it tramples on the blood of Christ it despises the work of Christ it robs the son of all his glory and salvation and it puts him to an open shame Those who say Jesus loves everybody and died for everybody, they proclaim a love and a death which are totally useless. It's useless for anything more than their own sentimentality. Their sentimentalism. They preach a redemption by which no one was redeemed. Universal redemption. And that is the universal universal message from the pulpits today. All around us, these so-called non-denominational churches. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves you. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next message. I'm going to ask the question, does God love you? They preach a redemption that's no, there was no redemption at all. Universal redemption is no redemption at all. And it says that there is no power, there's no merit, there's no efficacy in the blood of Christ without man's faith to ignite it. It makes the grace of God nothing but a frustrated desire in a God to save. 
It makes the will of God subject to the will of man. It makes the power of God weaker than the power of man. And it robs the Lord Jesus of his soul's satisfaction. Redemption was effectually accomplished by Christ on the cross. And I'm going to show you that. Turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at God's word. In John chapter 19, we read in verse 30. Again, I say redemption was effectually accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. And here we see that in clear words of His. And in John chapter 19, verse 30, we read, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, It is finished. What's finished? Salvation. Salvation of God's elect. Turn over to Hebrews 9, verse 12. Over to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. And I want you to I want you to notice the past tense of these words we're about to read. In, in Hebrews 9 verse 12, we read these words: "Neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place." That's what the priest does. He goes into the holiest place, the the holiest of holies, with the blood, with the blood for the sins of the people. This is what our Lord did. He went into the holiest of holies with His own blood. He entered in once into the holy place having obtained. That means done. That means it was done before He went into the holiest... Before He arose from the dead and went into and, and was received into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, redemption was done. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. One more if you would... That redemption is effectually applied by Christ on the throne. Turn back to John again, chapter 17 this time. Go back to John, this time chapter 17, in his priestly prayer. And I, I like what our brother Kevin said about this the other night. I can't remember if it was Wednesday night or uh, I think it was Wednesday night of last week, of this last week. He was reading. Yeah, it was, as a matter of fact. This is the Lord's Prayer. Our Lord was teaching His disciples how to pray. They, they, they titled that the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is when He went to the Father as our mediator. And that's what this chapter 17 is all, all about. It's our mediator, our high priest. Look at verse 2. John chapter 17. Well, let's read, let's read first one with that. These words spake Jesus, and He lifted up His eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life. This is our redeeming Lord. This is our redemption. The One who is giving eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He gives it to his elect. That's what this verse is read. That's what the verse is telling us back in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16. He passed by the angels. He passed by the seed of Abraham. Who did he come unto? He come unto the seed of Abraham. The people of promise. That people only. It was never our Lord's intention to desire or purpose to save all men. But whom he intended to save, he saved to the uttermost. Go back to Hebrews one more time if you would. And we'll bring this to a close. Hebrews chapter 7 this time. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24 we read these words, But this man, 
because he continueth ever hath an unchangeable priesthood. Remember the old priests, they they had to switch. They they couldn't live forever like the Lord Jesus is. They died. When their time come, when their day was marked, they died. This one, our Lord, unchangeable priesthood. It never changes. It goes on for eternity. Verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Look over at Hebrews 10. Go a couple of pages to the right to Hebrews chapter 10. And begin reading at verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered, because the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. That's the covenant of the law. That's the covenant of works. That's the covenant that God gave Adam right off the bat, right off the top. Do this and live. Don't do this and die. That was the covenant. That's the covenant of the law. That's works. That never saved anybody. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. That's the law of love. That's the law of grace. That's the love of that's the law of Christ and his love for his people. Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but this man. You could change that and say, but this God would be the same thing. You know that? Wouldn't be, wouldn't be changing God's word one bit. But this man, but God. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, there is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, Saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. God passed by everything else. Why? Because he's always had one thing, 
one picture in his mind, and that is the salvation of his people through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for election? If you said no to that, and I heard amen from everybody, but if you said no, you need to be on your knees today praying that God would open your eyes and give you an understanding of his grace. Amen.